0: Welcome in. This is episode 12 of the Card Chronicle podcast. Uh, Mike Rutherford and Danny Sinard back with you here. We're going to talk mostly today about Louisville's win over Wake Forest on Wednesday. If you're here looking for, I guess, discussion about the Virginia game on Saturday, we're actually going to, to do that in a different episode. Both of us have kids. Neither one of us have lives anymore, so we're going to get together on Friday it night. It is. Yeah, it's pretty – like, I was like, how about Friday night? Like, I'm, like, <laughs> bragging about
1: it. I'm like, God, I'm glad this is just a text between us two. It's pretty sad. I got
0: nothing going on after 10. Let's just – yeah, let's just knock that ass uh, – I mean, uh, yeah. So we're going to talk about the Virginia game Friday night. We'll hit uh, – I'll go ahead and probably publish that podcast tomorrow night so you'll have something. So if you're, like, a 21-year-old listening to this and you're going to be out at the bar – You'll get that notification. You can sprint out of the bar and go listen to us uh, talk about Louisville basketball on what sounds like a flip phone for like 45 minutes and then go back and keep drinking. So that should be a good time. So we're going to make that happen. couple uh, but like I said, mostly today we're going to talk about Wake Forest. Before we get into that discussion, a couple of quick notes from things that happened today. I say this as we record Thursday night. First of all, the women uh, the women's basketball team takes their first loss, ACC loss of the season, they go down sixty seven to fifty nine to number seventeen Florida State. Uh, they're playing without Elizabeth Balgoon, who's it's kind of a weird deal. She's with the Nigerian national team as they try to qualify for the Olympics. So I, I don't know exactly how there seems to be some lack of clarity on as far as like how long she's gone, but they obviously needed her tonight, so hopefully this is a minor hiccup. The ACC's kind of down this year on the women's side, so still feel like the women are going to be able to go. 17-1 um, and one this year, 16-2. and two. They, they don't seem to be a whole lot of other losses out there. And also, um, Gorgie Zhang gets traded from Minnesota to um, Memphis. He's going to be closer to Louisville, which I guess is good for us. He's going to be uh, reunited with Tyus Jones. And, Dan, you actually pointed this out to me, and it was a, a Kelly Dickey tweet. He compiled this, and I think it shocked both of us. But Gorgie leaves the Timberwolves after 498 games with the, uh, with the franchise, And his ranks in the history of the franchise are third in block shots, fourth in rebounds, fourth in games played, ninth in overall minutes, and 13th in points. I would not have believed any of those stats if you told me without Kelly Dickey putting it out and, you know, he doesn't make mistakes, but I was kind of shocked by that.
1: Yeah, and Gorgie, and this isn't a knock on Gorgie. He's one of my top five all-time favorite cards. Um, But I think that kind of shows you the – Ineptitude of the Timberwolves franchise um, for those to be uh, like some of the all time numbers. But yeah, I mean, and Gorg's, ha- I mean, he obviously had a-, a nice career there. It's a shame he didn't really get to play on any winning ball clubs. I'm glad that he's going to Memphis, where it seems like with John Morant, they kind of have a renewed energy going on. Um, so they should be pretty fun to watch there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think Gorg's like the knock on him in Minnesota was he had that big contract and he was kind of stuck there behind Carl Anthony Towns. But um, the minutes that he's gotten this year, apparently he's played really well. I don't watch a lot of Timberwolves games, but um, from everything I'm reading on Twitter, it sounds like, you know, not only was he playing well this year, but just like he was here, he's a tremendous member of the community. And we all know like what he does off the basketball court. So they say it's like a big loss for minnesota in general but yeah good luck to gorbs i'm excited to follow him in memphis
0: i think my favorite Gorgy story from back in the day and there are like 50 of them but my favorite one is we did this this meat and potatoes panel that they used to do at uofl and i would always be like a guest panelist and it was it was fun it was always a it was a discussion for L male students and we talked about a variety of topics and one time Gorgy was also on the panel and he was very i mean just saying stuff like like very candid, and uh, he talked. He mentioned the fact that the women's basketball in the ACC is more physical than men's basketball in the SEC. He uh, he basically guaranteed that they were going to win the national championship that year. He said they were going to hold at least one team below thirty points for an entire game, <laughs> and like basically everything that he said in this was true. But I had written like I, I took a couple of the uh, the the most juicy quotes and put it on uh, like a-, a quick post the next day on the website. And he hit me up and was like, yeah, man, you can't, you can't do that. Like, like you need to take that down pretty quickly or I'm going to get in a whole lot of trouble. But he's just a, he's a fascinating guy, like really, really smart, as nice as you want him to be, which is something you can't say for a whole lot of athletes. So best of luck to him in Memphis. And you're right there. It's an exciting young team. John Morant, one of the most exciting young players in the NBA, probably the best follow on Twitter right now. Uh, I mean, he is. He's so good uh, on Twitter. They're a whole lot of fun and doesn't like player. Andre Iguodala. Does not like Andre. Well, he kind of took up for Iggy a little bit, though. He went after Steph Curry, uh, who he did like. The whole thing, that whole thing was fun. Uh, The NBA, again, they're the best at entertainment outside of their actual sport. Nobody does that better. Like, it's basically a soap opera every day, um, and it's a whole lot of fun to follow. But let's get to what we're really going to talk about. Louisville. Walk in the park Wednesday night. Nothing to be seen. <laughs> uh, you know, Double digit win over last place team in the ACC. Never a doubt. 86 76 final score. Six guys scoring double figures. Uh, laid back Wednesday night. It was a whole lot of fun. Uh, not so much. Uh, 15 point deficit in the first half. Cards trailed by 12 at halftime. How, where do you stand on this? Because I, I feel like I, I wrote a big thing today on, on cardchronicle.com. And I let it off with saying, I actually felt okay about the performance Wednesday night. I woke up Thursday morning. I still felt okay about it. A lot of people disagreed. A lot of people thought that, you know, Louisville coming out and playing the way they did in the first 20 minutes was unacceptable and a sign of, you know, gloom and doom to come. Where do you stand on, on what we saw inside the Young Center Wednesday night?
1: So, ever since we started this podcast, I, I've started to realize. I cannot read your write-ups that you do because like I feel like we kind of think on the same la- like wavelength about things. I started to read it and I was like, okay, I actually have to save like some of these thoughts for myself. Cause the first thing that I was I knew you'd be like, okay, what's what's gonna be your overreaction to the game? The thing that comes to mind is, okay, we are twenty and three. If someone would have told us for the season we'd be twenty and three, we would be ecstatic. Now, with that being said, obviously the ACC is not what we thought it was going to be this year, although we do have the big Duke win in our pocket. But 20 and 3 is 20 and 3. So I'm just going to stick with that and say, before we get negative, we are in an absolute great position right now. Okay. Now, with that being said, uh I was a li- I, I was probably more concerned. I to be honest, in the first half, I I had texted you. I was like, this doesn't feel like a game we might come back in. Only just because I didn't see a spark from our team. And thank God. What did whatever. I say?
0: What did yeah. I say by the way in response?
1: Yeah, I think uh, I you were like, like, we're fine, we're fine. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, props to you. um I mean, just we were going up against Danny Manning. That's why I was panicking. <laughs> no, no, uh, but. The thing is that, you know, it's nice that we have the ability to come out and just punch back and, and step over people and kind of take over control of the game when we need to. But I do not want to keep falling in this pattern of, OK, slow start. Oh, we need the light switch to flip on and, and let's start playing. It's just, especially with Virginia on Saturday, that is a team you cannot just come out flat and get behind to because what they'll do is just take the air out of the ball and you cannot play catch up against them so definitely things that you know defensively we need to work on but i am overall if you're asking for like overall i'm just happy that we're 20 and 3 and we got the win
0: first of all i love that you hinted at the um the virginia like math translation deal that everybody does where if you're behind eight points against Virginia, it's like being behind 35 points against everybody else. Like everybody has that same thing, and everybody's number is different. But you're right. I mean, the, the point stands. If you come out and you have the same type of first half against UVA, uh, it, it's going to be tougher to make up a deficit like that in the second half. I don't think they're going to though, and that's that's kind of my overall takeaway. Like, don't get me wrong. It's annoying that they came out and they didn't play with the the energy level. And I think the attentiveness on defense that they need to to put away a team like Wake Forest. But at the same time, like, I've seen that like, we've seen them. And this is not an excuse. Again, it's an explanation. We've seen them more lethargic before. And I think that it hasn't shown up because the teams they've been playing against the Miami game, the Miami, Florida game, the, the second one comes to mind. The teams they've been playing against haven't been able to take advantage. Like Wake played its ass off in the first half. Again, I agree not an excuse i'm not trying to say that you know wake forest best is 12 points better than our 80 percent or anything like that but like wake took full advantage of that and and chris mack talked after the game about letting their shooters take shots from that triple threat position where you've got the ball and you've still got your dribble and you can pass shoot or go off the bounce and that's that's inexcusable when you play a pack line defense like you should never be able to let a guy catch the ball square up face you face the rim get a good look, jab step, and then go up for a shot where he doesn't have to change his his shooting motion. And they did that like three or four times. And that cannot happen. Like that's just pure lack of effort and lack of focus. And even um, like Dokich and Benetti, we're gonna talk about them in a little bit, they were talking about how they were they had sat in on the walkthrough. And Malik Williams at one point did the exact theme, exact thing that Chris Mack and Dino Gaudio had been telling them they cannot do. You know, if you're up on a guy I mean, he was guarding Brandon Childress, and he's got a solid – you know, Childress is small. He's six foot tall. You've got a solid foot on him. But if you've got your hands down and you're backing away from him, that's an uncontested three. Like, like What are you doing at that point? And there was way too much of that in the first half. But I think the fact that they turned it on, it's it, – like there are a lot of teams right now, a lot of good teams, a lot of ranked teams in college basketball that have given the same types of performance that Louisville did in the first half, but they just haven't been able to flip that switch. And, and they've stayed lethargic for the entire game. And again, that's, this is not me giving an excuse. It's me saying that I'm kind of okay w- w- with what happened because of the, the way the second half played. And again, this is like the fifth time that this team has learned this lesson where you can't go through the motions and beat a team, um, even if they're last place or, or 13th place in the ACC, just because you think you can walk all over them. You can't. But it's February 6th, and I think that they're they're still locked in. They, it wasn't everybody. I, I think there was some good defensive effort from a lot of people in the first half. It, just, it, it doesn't matter when you've got one dude who's backing away from a three-point shooter and letting him shoot, and Wake took advantage. And also, I mean, Wake, they're finally healthy. They've played everybody but Duke close. Um, they shouldn't be within 10 points of us again. I'm not trying to say that. They shouldn't be up 12 on us at halftime. But if you're not given, if you're at, at 80% attentiveness, if you're at 70% attentiveness, they're a team that has enough talent to take advantage of that. And that's what happened again. I'm not thrilled about the performance, but seeing the way that we turned it on in the second half, I thought that was awesome. We played about as well as we could. I thought um, that opening segment where we cut a 12 point lead to uh, to one in four and a half minutes was, was tremendous. The Ryan McMahon four point play was as loud as I think the yum center has been since Chris Mack took over. So it is what it is. Like, yeah. You're just going to stuff like this is going to happen at any point in a, in a conference season.
1: Yeah. And I had texted you like, almost midway through the first half and we haven't for some reason I, I, and it's just cause he, you know, he, he comes in every game and does his job for the most part. But I feel like this podcast, we haven't give, given Dwayne enough love. Um, but about midway through the first half, I text you, I was like, uh, I, I miss good or I miss good Dwayne. Like we really need him to show up here. And he was pretty much non-existent until kind of the end of the first half here. And uh, whatever happened at halftime, I mean, that was the best I've seen him play in a while. In the second half, he was all over the place and we needed every rebound that he could get. Cause we were kind of getting bullied in the first half on the boards. And with Malik, who, I, I mean, I, well, you talked about it last podcast, I love Malik, he's starting to make some outside shots, which is nice, but he looks really banged up right now. I, uh. like, I referenced, he looks like, like an old, Robert Parrish like not like <laughs> not like the chief from like the 80s I'm talking about like Robert Parrish that was like on the Hornets like in the mid 90s where like just moving extremely slow um but I mean I, I I just think he looks really banged up right now so that's obviously a concern but yeah I mean going back to what you said it is nice that we you know there's not a lot of college basketball teams that can flip the switch like we do but again the teams that we're doing it against, I just feel like we shouldn't have to be flipping the switch. Like, we're going to – starting Saturday, I feel I feel like this is almost like, all right, we kind of got the one part of our schedule out of the way where we can get away with this. And now, like, the season, it's, it's really going to hit us and it's really going to start. And we cannot, you know, keep doing that. That's just my two cents.
0: No, I'm with you 100%. I mean, it's not just – you know, you get Virginia twice. You go at Georgia Tech, who's playing pretty well right now and played you very close in your own building uh, last month. You go to Clemson, who is way better in Little John than they are on the road. Um, Syracuse has been playing well. You've got to play them. Uh, Virginia Tech's kind of tanking right now, but still like they're gonna be desperate. That's the last week of the regular season or the second to last week of the regular season. They're probably still going to have at least some shot of making the NCAA tournament if they get a big time win. And then you end the regular season back at Virginia, and of course the Florida State game. Uh, which might wind up determining who wins the ACC. So yeah, it definitely feels like the stretch of games where you feel like it's going to take a lot to get beat, it's going to take your D plus effort and the other team's A minus effort for you to lose. That's kind of over now. So I, I'm with you on that. Going back to uh, to Dwayne Sutton, like my my understanding, kind of the uh, the buzz after the game late last night from some people was Dwayne got. Called out a little bit at halftime. Like there, there was some yelling amongst the players. Not again, not like angry yelling back and forth. Just motivational talking before the coaches came in after their little coaches powwow. And Dwayne was the guy that people were pointing at and saying, like, gotta give us a little bit more. He played the first nine minutes of the second half and without getting subbed out. And during that nine minute stretch, this is from uh, Gabe Divergent Chris Hatfield. His stat line during those nine minutes: eleven points, six rebounds, one steal. Like he just, he looked like an animal. And uh, if you have the game DVR, or you want to go find it on YouTube or ESPN.com, watch ESPN whatever you have. Go watch the second half for any 5 to 10 minute stretch and just watch him on defense. He's like in a fucking MMA fight every single possession. Like yeah. I, I I guarantee he felt like like Teddy Bridgewater when he was playing for the Vikings and nobody was blocking for him and he was just getting destroyed every game. Like he had he was just getting beat up because Stephen Enoch and Malik Williams were not rebounding. Um, Olivier Sar is a Big, big dude. And then the the, the guy that they start, who doesn't play the uh, Aguai guy, or however his name is pronounced. And then Lucius, who comes off the bench. Lucius, who comes off the bench. They're both 6'8", 6'9". So he's undersized right there. And he was just, just battling his ass off. Tenth double-double of his college career. He finishes with 15 points, 11 rebounds. He also had four assists, which was tied for the conference lead. He right now is fifth in the ACC in rebounding. And he's a six foot five forward who's who's kind of who's played the two for us at some points of the season. That dude, I, I don't know what I'm going to do on his senior day. Like, I don't know if I can go through with this. Like, he deserves 15 standing ovations for what he's given us.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. What now? One thing like last year, Dwayne started the season like he's been playing this whole year. Like he was all over the place, all over the boards. His defensive effort was great. He was hitting, you know, timely shots. But Towards the last half of the year, I don't don't know if you agree with me, it seemed like almost – I don't know if he got tired or what, but we just weren't getting the same production um, on the defensive end and on the rebounding end, and especially scoring um, from Dwayne uh, as I felt like we got in the beginning of the year. So I'm really looking for down the stretch here to to see if if, if Dwayne's going to carry this for an entire season. I think he can, and I think he will, but having – one rebound from Malik and two from Steve is pretty concerning. It was good to see Jordan grab seven rebounds. Um, but yeah, I mean, we needed everything Dwayne gave us last night and then I'm just kind of looking at the stats here. I mean, one of fresh Kimball's better games, um, I'll call, I, I can't call him Dave anymore because everyone's fucking shitting on me for it. But People not, really they, hated that.
0: Yeah, they God. really didn't like
1: that. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, Trinity Brothers for life, my bad. Um, <laughs> live the David, fourth, Dave. Yeah, live the fourth. Uh, David Johnson, not one of his better games. Um, I know I said in a couple podcasts ago, you know, I'm okay if he makes mistakes. I He's kind of still feeling it out. Uh, we're we're, we're going to start getting to the point of the season here where we can't make full court like telegraph. He looked like Jameis Winston telegraphing like a pass that he was like launching down the entire side of the court. That's just stuff that maybe you can get away with in high school. But you can't do here. Um, and then not one of Darius's better games. Uh, Darius, gosh, I, 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 I don't know how you feel about this. I, I love Darius. I... I On the defensive end, I I think he's a ball hawk um, and he really puts pressure on the ball. He just really can frustrate me on the offensive end. I think he's kind of a ball stopper to where if he gets past the ball, uh, you know, it takes him a while to either pass it or he'll dribble it in one spot and go nowhere with it. And then if he does make a move, you know, I like Darius shooting open threes and straight drives the lane. Now when he gets in and starts twisting and turning, you can see his fade away coming from like, as soon as he like pivots on his foot, I like go upstairs and put both my kids to bed and then come back down. And he's like still in the process of like turning and like fading away. And I'm like, here we go. So um, that's, that's, he's just got to know that's not the shots that we want on our offensive possessions. But you know, he, he's still capable of big games. So I I still think he needs minutes, but not one of his better games last night.
0: Yeah, first segment, Darius actually let us down. He missed two jumpers in the opening four minutes. I think it's the first time um, that he's really, like, hasn't done anything since we started talking about first segment, Darius. Last segment, fresh, though, still fucking fantastic. He, he was yeah, terrific. Yeah, he was great. I think it's interesting that that Darius and David both had and you're right we should mention you got shit on so bad for people who people really hated the fact that you refer to david johnson as dave and stephen enoch as steve um outside of i got more tweets about that and then your danny manning love which but it blows me away how many people in the middle of the game are tweeting me and saying like dumpster Dan's got a lot of explaining to do like somehow blaming like you're getting the thing that that, that everybody gets that that writes anything or says anything about Louisville sports people want somebody to blame and when we were getting our asses kicked by Danny Manning people were blaming you for some reason I also got a lot of people after the McMahon um, and one three talking about the uh, the balls biggest church bells quote from the casino last week. It, it, first of all, it just blows my mind that people are actually listen to this podcast besides our family and friends. Yeah, uh, which which again sounds like it's recorded on you know two flip phones going back and forth. We're gonna fix it at some point. I act like it's just the, the shitty audio is part of the charm of the podcast. The reality is I just don't know how to do anything besides use Skype. So at some point I'm gonna fool around with other stuff. But uh, going back to what we were talking about there before I got off on the tangents, Wake Forest they want a sloppy game like they're the they're the baseball team that like wants to bunt a bunch and do like shitty stuff on the base pass and just make you like create a bunch of errors. Like they they create a lot of turnovers, they turn the ball over a lot themselves, and they get to the foul line a bunch. So turnovers and fouls, that's their game. They want you to play down to their level of competition. And the two guys that we have on this team that I think are the most prone to that right now, getting a little bit too excited and and pushing the envelope more than they should, are David Johnson and Darius Perry. And they both, in their own way fell into this trap for David Johnson that setup like like for a freshman who's still kind of figuring out how to use the weapons he has at his disposal the setup of a team that wants to get up and down and get a little bit sloppy that's dangerous for him and and I wrote this this morning in a weird way like playing Wake Forest at home for David Johnson is a bigger trap than playing Duke at Cameron Indoor Stadium and the performances that he's had sort of bear that out and with Darius Perry you can see him fighting those inner demons. Every time he's, he has the ball on a, a semi-fast break, you can see bad Darius on the left shoulder telling him, you're the man, go one on four <laughs> here. It's going to turn out well for you. And then you've got like the good angel on the shoulder, like just pull the ball out, man. Just, just pull it out. Jordan's coming. Fresh is coming. We're going to be okay. Set up the offense. And there was that one play where he's literally the only U L player across half court. He's got the ball in his hands. There are four Wake Forest defenders back. There's nothing there. There's nothing positive that can happen there, but he makes that first guy miss with a nifty behind-the-back dribble, and yeah. he's just he's empowered at that point. Like it's he's gonna do what he's gonna do, and he goes like between the legs. He's spinning, and two seconds later, the ball's in Wake Forest's hands. And he was taking bad shots. He took a couple of decent shots that just didn't go in, but it wasn't his night. He he played great defense when he was in there, but for in, in this particular game. I think the steady backcourt combination of Ryan McMahon and Fresh Kimball was always going to work a little bit better. And those two guys were fantastic. And this is the benefit of having, you know, four guards that have been playing pretty well. When it's when it's a bad matchup for two of them or for one of them, or when one of them or two of them are just having a bad off night, you got two guys right there that can step in. It's it's the benefit of having nine starters at this point. Now let me ask you this question. A nine
1: man rotation. I'm sure there's, there's national title teams that had a very deep bench that played nine guys a decent amount of minutes. But I feel like the trend is once you start getting closer to March, the bench – not saying that all nine guys wouldn't play, but the minutes maybe start to shrink down for a couple of players. Do you see that happening, or do you think that we're going to keep getting the same exact minutes that we're getting from people?
0: I think this is going to be it. Like, uh, I I know that most teams now, most coaches like to have a seven-man rotation. Some will go eight. Some will go nine. Um, Archie Miller was saying he was going to play 11 guys this year at in Indiana. And, like, two weeks ago, he's like, no, fuck this. I can't do it anymore. I don't, I don't know what I was thinking. But, uh, I, like, who do you take out of the rotation now? Who yeah. Do not, it's, who do you not it's, give it's, a shot? It's tough. I just – I didn't know.
1: I'm not saying anyone would be taken out of the rotation. I just – you know getting closer to march i didn't know if maybe there might be someone whose minutes like start to get crunched a little bit i mean god i, think I hate it to... depends
0: on i think it's going to be one of those you base it on the competition level like sam williamson only played eight minutes in this game I, for whatever reason mac didn't feel like it was a, a good fit for him There are going to pre- probably be games like that in the tournament or in the acc tournament or the late regular season games in late february early march where it's just not a good fit i mean darius played only three minutes the other night um they're just going to be nights like that for everybody. Like Ryan is playing really well right now. There's probably going to be a matchup for him at some point these next two weeks where it's not his, it's not his night or it's not a game where he can get open shots and he only plays 10 minutes. I think that's going to be more of it. I think all nine guys are going to play in every single game we have, but there are going to be games where some of them play 25 and then two games later they're playing seven. Like, I think that's the way it's going to work.
1: Yeah, no. I, and, all nine guys, like you said, it's basically like having nine starters. so i I, I wouldn't think anyone would get squeezed out, but you're probably right. It's probably gonna be based on the flow of the game matchups and and just kind of who has the hot hand at who's gonna get the play in time.
0: All right, so everybody was blaming you for a, a part of the game for what was happening. I also appreciated everybody who was who was uh, tweeting me or sending me direct messages or whatever saying, we've got to keep the undefeated streak of the podcast alive. That's where people's heads are right now. The, um, the famous snow globe that I had upstairs for all of our January wins the last couple of years, uh, I brought it downstairs after we lost to Florida State. The handle broke before the, the Wake Forest game. I wasn't going to say anything about it if we actually lost the game, but I was terrified of that. But I was more terrified of losing the undefeated podcast streak. So we've got that going for us. But while people were blaming you for the first half performance, a lot of other people – we're blaming Dan Dockich, myself included, for, because he was overly complimentary. And we all know like Dan Dockich has had beef with, with everybody in the city of Louisville, it seems like. He does that thing, or he used to do that thing, where I would say something kind of shitty about him, and he would respond by just posting a picture of my face on his, Twitter, uh, on his Twitter page. He did it like three or four times. Hasn't done it in a while. But he comes out, and he does this thing. He does it with every fan base that hates him. He does it with Iowa. He does it with Michigan State. He does it with Kentucky. When he's calling your game on TV, he will do this big like fallatio deal, where it's like Louisville's the greatest city in the entire world. This team's incredible. Like this may be the best team in the country. These fans are the best in the country. And then, like five minutes after the game's over, he's on Twitter and he's like, "Everybody in the city's a fucking bitch." Like I hate all. That. <laughs> like he just like he flips the switch. You're like what? What the hell? That's how you know it's totally disingenuous. So. I know Louisville fans were like, yeah, Dockage is actually being nice. I didn't like it at all, and I blamed the first half performance entirely on that, and it wasn't until, I I don't know if it was my tweet or somebody else who had said the exact same thing, he 100% saw that people were blaming, Louisville fans were blaming him for the way they played and started talking about it on air, and I think he was a little bit more gruff in the second half, and I I fully attribute that to, uh, to, to Louisville being able to pull away, but I guess your overall thoughts on Dan Dockage calling a game he's calling the virginia game on saturday he and jason benetti once again is he
1: really oh yeah i I must have missed that i think maybe he did say that but i i
0: here's the thing about dockage
1: like i i can't stand when like people like god you know he's the worst on twitter and his radio but like he you know he does know a lot about basketball and he calls like a good game like thank you dude here's the deal there's plenty of other people That know about basketball that can call a good game that don't make the game about themselves. He would not shut the fuck up the entire night. Like every, there was, it was like a five or seven point game with like a minute and a half left. And he had like zero interest talking about the game. He was talking about like other avenues for like ACC teams to get in the tournament. I'm like, I mean, kind of a big possession here. Like he just (laughs) always turns it like everything, like, like his, like, he really just loves to throw his opinion out there. He's like, watch for the fresh Kimball miss free throw here off the back of the back of the iron. And then like, of course he made it. Like just everything has to be like an opinion with him. I'm like, just give us like what you're watching. We don't need to like know what you're thinking twenty-four-seven. It drives me fucking crazy. And like, I mean, just you know, from everything from his radio show to him on Twitter. I mean, he like he's literally the last person I would ever want to deal with like on a daily basis. He just seems like so egotistical and such an asshole.
0: And from most stories, that's kind of who he is. Like he's not one of those guys like actually if you meet him in real life, he's a he's a great person. He's just kind of playing a character on on Twitter. No, like by a lot of accounts, by most accounts, uh, that's kind of who he is. He he tries to do the Tony Romo thing where he predicts stuff before it happens. I've been, I've been following this for five or six years now. I don't think he's ever gotten one <laughs> yeah. Like the, the first time I ever noticed it was Maryland, Melo Trimble hit a shot at the buzzer. And like, um, like four seconds before it happened, Dockich is like, he's going to take a two deep three here. It's going to be too deep. And like Trimble pulls up from like 24 feet. And Dockich, as the ball's in the air, is like, nope, too deep. And it goes in. And I was like, this guy's wrong about everything. And he does it all the time. He's like, look for the stagger set. They're going to work the ball around and then throw it into the post and then the point guard just shoots a three. Like, like nothing happens. Ab- like, he does that all the time with the fresh – like just like the fresh Kimball free throw.
1: I hate the like, – ESPN, like, wants us to take their coverage, like, seriously for college basketball, and then they'll have, like, Dan Dockage covering, like, the NCAA tournament brackets, and, like, everyone's like, oh, you know, like, they got, like, a couple one season. He's like, I see Michigan cutting down that – because uh, obviously, like, his son's playing for him. Right. It's just, like, the biggest, like, homer picks, I'm like – I mean, we can get that uh, – if you want to say on uh, his radio show, fine. Like, we don't need that on, like, ESPN's coverage. Like, give me someone that knows what the fuck they're talking about.
0: I'm glad you said the thing, too, where everybody does this deal where they say, you know, he's, he's a maniac on Twitter. He says all this crazy stuff. He's just – he's a complete yeah. – but actually, if you listen to him call games, he, he's actually really astute. He's one of the best there is. He knows basketball. Like, he's, he's a fine analyst. He does not do a bad job calling games. The ego stuff, the the constantly talking over Jason Bonetti, who I think is really good, and yeah. talking about himself, like that's where it gets annoying. But we we do this thing. Here we go. You ready for this? We do this thing as a society, <laughs> where, <laughs> we're, we're, where we lower the bar so significantly for assholes. If you if you are a fairly high profile person who says and does crazy stuff outside of your primary field. And then you go back in your primary field and you behave like a semi-human being. You you act like people treat you like you're some sort of incredible genius, godlike figure. Like if you're this person who's tweeting out, actually, you know, Hitler wasn't that bad. He uh, he, I think he actually found a cure to cancer that's going to be discovered in 2040. And people are like, what the fuck you're talking about? And then you go on national TV and you put together three normal sentences. Everybody reacts as though, like, you know, he's actually a brilliant person. He, uh, you know, he says some crazy things. He's got a different way of thinking. But when it's time for him to do his job, there's not a better pro in the business than, you know, Adolf von Brusen, who still has a uh, a Hitler tattoo on his left arm. It just it drives me crazy that we do this with everybody. Where if you act a certain way and you say such ridiculous things and you behave so crazily, and then you behave semi-normal in a field where everybody else is always normal you get more praise than everybody else. And if he didn't act like such an ass in other fields of his life, we wouldn't pay that much attention to him. And nobody would be talking about how brilliant he is and how all this stuff. People would just say, well, yeah, he's a good analyst. He's one of a lot of good analysts. That's why he's on ESPN. And that's that's kind of that. But I love Benetti always giving him shit. I love that he called him out for the Jeff Brom quote-unquote report, uh, which was fantastic. And he's, like I said, he's really good.
1: So, so one, one more thing go on for this. It. So he made a comment
0: last night like,
1: like Chris Max done like a hell of a job. Like you wouldn't even remember that like Patino was the coach here. And then he was like, Indiana, there's their fans still haven't got over Bob Knight. I'm like, dude, you're the fucking ringleader of that. You don't <laughs> Shut the fuck up about Bob Knight. Like all you fucking your life is based on like the Bob Knight years. Like you are literally the ringleader for that. And that I don't know. It just everything about that guy just rubs me the wrong way. But we can move on.
0: I did love him tweeting about the the Bob Knight forty for forty and talking about how you know criticizing Knight for the Neil Reed choke and all this stuff, and he was getting into it completely neglecting the fact that he was on that staff like like, you, like if you wanted to stop that, you could have stopped that like get, did get you on. did somehow. you just call it a
1: forty for forty?
0: oh, I did call it a 40 for forty. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's been a long week. I, I was like is there like some like secret 40 for 40 show
0: I don't know about. Shit. Sorry. Oh, Sorry. That's that's I'm... bad. That's terrible. Ah <laughs> oh, god. Uh anyway, yeah. I don't even know what i was talking about now. I've I've completely I I'm, I'm completely rattled after that. But uh Wait. I was going to say, oh, you mentioned um Rick patino Are you ready for a big time Card Chronicle podcast scoop? Yeah, oh. I'm ready for it. all right again, this is the sort of thing that we couldn't do back in the day on radio. I can give it to you here. Um, don't be surprised folks. If Rick Bettino is coaching the Massachusetts Minutemen a year from now,
1: what? how would you
0: feel about that? I mean, I, I personally,
1: I want to see Rick back in the college game. Like, you know, however people think he left here, uh, that's, that's their opinion. I think for the college game that it, he's absolutely great and, entertaining as an understatement so i am all in on that um yeah i want to see it see
0: the pro tip here you have to preface everything like that with the whole with don't be surprised because then like yeah. it, if it winds up being true yeah of course i called it you heard it here first if it doesn't well i'm just saying i wasn't reporting anything i'm saying don't be surprised but matt mccall's in his third year up there he did a really good job at chattanooga and got the umass job but they have been terrible uh, all three of his seasons they're not very good now They just lost to Rhode Island for I think the 13th straight time. That's sort of their arch rival, and they got into a fight after the game. And ironically enough, and this is a a true thing, I can say this definitively. Like Rick thought he was getting the Rhode Island job last year when Danny Hurley left for the the Connecticut gig. Like he, he he wanted to get the St. John's job. I think everybody, a lot of people up there wanted him to get the St. John's gig, but there's that the religious leadership at the school wouldn't even let the first step happen there. So that ended pretty quickly, but Rhode Island there was definite mutual interest and what what tanked it was concern about he has pending lawsuits at the time against Adidas and against UofL, and then also what the NCA is going to do in the second um, second deal with Louisville and if there would be additional sanctions against him. So if you notice like Rick got the lawsuit settled, I don't like a lot of people took that as well, he's finally ready to move on or he's swallowing his pride no, like he wants to coach again in the United States. He wants to be a, a college basketball coach again. And settling both of those things were, were steps towards making this happen. I think the only thing that if UMass does fire McCall, because, you know, Patino, he, he played there. He, he was a, he's a UMass grad. He'd be, I, th- I think, would coach there for 10 seasons and, and be happy to do so. The one thing holding him back is concern over what's going to happen with the second NCAA deal. He already had a five-game um, ACC punishment from the first, uh, from the Casino Powell stuff, what if he got a show cause penalty? What if you hire Rick Pitino and then in, uh, a year later when Louisville goes through its whole process with the NCAA, he gets hit with a show cause and you can't let him coach anymore. I think that's the one thing that is a little bit concerning right now. But UMass has been so irrelevant for so long and they're so desperate to get back to relevance I think they might be willing to take that jump. But again, just something to keep an ear out for. Um, Man,
1: if this, if this ends up, ge- if this rumor gets legs, uh, it's going to be hilarious. They're like, who, who actually dropped this news? And they're going to have to like, go listen to the podcast. So, like, yeah, it was the guy that called the ESPN documentary 40 for 40 series, like about 30 seconds before it's like, yeah, it sounds pretty legit. <laughs>
0: You may have to, uh, you're gonna have to fast forward <laughs> through 15 minutes of calling Dan Dockich an asshole, but yeah, you're gonna get there eventually. Uh, Come on, get legs, rumor. Jesus, <laughs> you're gonna get there. Um, who do you blame more for Louisville's poor performance? Because do- Dockich saying the nice stuff, I think definitely you can blame him for. You also have gotten a fair share of blame, but then the third, I, I guess, villain in all this, Master P was in the house. He he was with his, um, I guess, his middle son, Hersey Miller, which is just. You know, they wanted something that sounded like Percy but wasn't Percy, and that was the best they could think of. Um, they have another son who's a, another prospect who's in eighth grade. His name is Mercy Miller, but Percy is a 2022 prospect, I believe, who was in attendance. They were sitting there, and I think when they left, we were down by 14, and that's when the comeback started. So does Matt, like, are we allowed to have Master P come to games inside the KFC Yum Center?
1: Dude, I'm all about, I mean, he can come to whatever he wants to, um, like, I'm totally on board with that. I'm, as you said last night in a tweet, I'm about it, about it. Um, yeah, I'm pretty white. Um, yeah, that was bad. We can edit that out. Uh, no, but yeah, me getting the blame. I mean, come on, we're undefeated since the podcast started. I mean, we're not going to put anything on me here, so uh, if you want to blame P that's fine. Don't throw this blame on me. I'm, I'm just the guy that, uh, uh, I, 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 a closet Danny Manning fan that happened to get aired out here on, on this podcast. But I have a feeling, um, I'm going to have to be <laughs> looking for another coach to adopt here. Um, probably shortly. Steve Lavin, man. He's, he's going to get back oh, out there. God, dude, I'll, I miss lab. His hair looks, it still looks phenomenal.
0: I haven't heard you be. You haven't been chirping too much about Nevada basketball with your boy Steve Alford this year. Yeah, I'll be dead honest. Haven't, <laughs> haven't Probably haven't
1: watched one game. Haven't uh, got the wolf back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that Steve Alford. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> I, I, I miss. I liked the New Mexico
0: Steve Alford. The UCLA. I, I was
1: waiting for that guy to come back, but.
0: Yeah, that's uh. Yeah, we can move on. Uh, so I, I did love that there were so many Dans involved in Wednesday night games. Because people call you Dumpster Dan, which I still don't know how that happened, but it makes me laugh every single time from the Dan of the Dump segment. But then a bunch of people were saying, is it Dumpster Danny Manning? Is it Dumpster Dan Dockett? Like, there are a whole lot of Dans that play Wednesday night. Um, you probably had the best night because your team won. And Dockett sounded like a, kind of like an ass. And Manning is... Call a timeout, Danny. It was a 26-3 run, and you're (laughs) just standing there
1: doing nothing. (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't really changing things up. I was like, uh, might want to get out on the three ball there, Dan. Looks like we're getting some shots up. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, what do you think? Is it it over this year?
0: It has to be. He's going to be – people are like, well, I can't believe he didn't get fired after last year. His buyout was $18 million last year. I know that that's – I think that Wake is a private school, so they don't have to publicly disclose that. But I can tell you for a fact, um, $18 buyout is what they would have had to have paid to fire Danny Manning this year. And it's not significantly less this year. It, it, it is less, and I think that they're probably going to have to pull that trigger and maybe hire Shaka Smart. There's another one. I'll, I'll say that for the Let
1: me ask you this. Go for it. Do you think Wake would ever go back and admit their mistake and try to hire back Dino Gaudio? And if they did try, do you think that would be something Dino would be interested in?
0: Ooh, I like that. That's that's actually interesting because I mean, it'd be a it'd be a weird deal because I mean, Dino was out of coaching for a decade and then came here, and this is only his second season of being an assistant. My like, from what I've heard kind of through the grapevine is he really really likes this role. He seems comfortable. He seems to really enjoy Louisville. Um, that would be interesting because um, he, you're right. I mean, he got a raw deal at Wake. He took them to two NCAA tournaments. I think they went to. They, they won at least one game in one of those years. I think they went to a Sweet 16 under him. I could be wrong about that. But the results definitely did not bear out the fact that he, he should have been fired. And then Jeff Bezelik is a disaster. Yeah. Um, Danny Manning has been a disaster. I saw, and I'll give the Charlotte Observer wrote a, a really good story. I linked it on uh, the Thursday News Notes post on Car Chronicle. But from did you know from, 19 I think it was 1990 through 2010, Wake Forest had more ACC wins than any program besides Duke Carolina and Maryland. And Maryland only had, I think, two more than Wake did. And then from 2011 up until now, they have the fewest amount of wins in the ACC. That is a that's an incredible fall from grace when you really think about it.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree. I mean, the 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 Tim Duncan years are are long gone. Um, But, yeah, if I had to answer that question myself, I don't think wake would give in and offered Dino after running him out the way that they did. But it would be, I mean, I want Dino to stay here. Obviously I love him on our bench and I love the staff that we have, but it just, you know, I just don't see something that I just don't think that would happen.
0: My guess would be that if they didn't get, if things don't play out where they can have a chat at getting Shaka smart, Their first call will probably be Wes Miller at UNC Greensboro, who played at North Carolina and done a really good job there. The only issue there is I think there's a lot of buzz and a lot of belief that he's going to be the coach at North Carolina whenever Roy Williams decides to hang it up, which, I mean, Roy's getting up there, and they're having such a bad year right now, and I think Roy really hates recruiting. Even though they're recruiting really, really well, they've got more McDonald's All-Americans than anybody this year. Do you take Wes Miller and have him for a couple of seasons, and then he bounces for... Uh, a powerhouse school in your state that's kind of viewed as your big brother, that would be a bad look if so. But I, I'm with you. I don't think that they would go back to somebody they've already had and admit that mistake if you want to say that. Uh, let's talk r- real quick before we, we get to Dan in the dumps and read a couple of reviews. And, again, we're going to talk Virginia on another podcast that should be out Friday night. Dockage it was not the most annoying thing about the broadcast. Can we talk about yes, – it wasn't just this game but ESPN's refusal to stay away from this split-screen deal, where you mentioned great Wake Forest teams from the 90s. They're showing Randolph Childress on the Wake Forest bench while an actual Wake Forest free throw is being taken, and then when they cut back to the game, it's only on half the screen, and the other half is Randolph Childress staring blankly and not moving at all. Like, Why in the fuck does anybody associated with ESPN think that we want to see half of our screen on a coach, on a parent, or on the actual announcers themselves while live game action is happening on the other half of the screen? Does this bother you as much as me, or am I being an old man yelling at the sky right now?
1: Um, It bothers me, uh, especially, like, there's no need to do it in a Louisville-Wake Forest game. Like, if we had, like, you know, uh, two high, like, High profile coaches, and you want to like show like a split screen of the reaction, like fine. Like, this is like a run of the mill ACC game. Um, but I, I, I did appreciate the Randolph Childress, uh, crossover against Carolina. Oh God. Tell that, I could watch that a million times. It's the best. It's, dude, that is so sick. And he just took over like that whole tournament. So, um, yeah, that was cool to see. But no, I'm not a fan of the split screen.
0: Also, one last, one last shout out for. Uh, Wednesday night's game. I thought the crowd, and I know that the number was I think fifteen thousand seven hundred something, which was actually more than I expected. We've had a bunch of our ACC games in January didn't get to the fifteen k mark, and for a a Wednesday night game with a nine o'clock tip against the last place team in the ACC, I actually thought, relative to to what we've seen so far this year, I was a little bit pleasantly surprised. But a lot of people were upset about that number, saying, "Look, we got the number five team in the country. We're we're nineteen and three at that time. We've only lost once in the conference." Again, this is just kind of the way it is right now, and I've gotten to the point where I'm not focused on the numbers, I just care about how loud the fans that are in the building are. And and I thought that our fans were fantastic in the second half. They were, I mean, it, again, that Ryan McMahon, the, the N-1-3 was as loud as the building's been in in three or four years. I thought that, that was awesome. I thought everybody, like, that's all I care about at this point. I've gotten past the numbers, I've gotten, it's never going, to, I don't think it's ever going to be the way that it was in, you know, back in the Freedom Hall days, or even back six, seven years ago, when didn't matter who you were playing, you were going to get 19,000 plus at Freedom Hall. Or it didn't matter who you were playing at the Yum Center, you were going to get 22,000 plus. Things have times have changed, and it's not just the Louisville thing; it's a thing across the entire country. But if you're going to show up, if you're going to be in the lower bowl, if you're going to be on TV, if you're going to be able to have an impact on the game, be loud. And our fans were insanely loud Wednesday night, and I thought it was awesome. Yeah, and it's funny, like when we play a
1: team like Wake, like as soon as we got down early. I like find myself as a fan, like blaming myself for this. I'm like, gosh, I overlooked <laughs> this. This was my fault. We didn't talk about it on the podcast. Like I didn't mentally prepare. I just sat out on the couch. Like this was totally my fault. I know why these players have this mindset. Like, you know, I, and again, the fans were great. I'm definitely, you know, if you make it out there, that's, that's, that's awesome. I, th- I think he said we had 15,000, you know, obviously for some ACC games, we have more um but it's just one of those games where you just wonder it's like the players they kind of just get they shouldn't but it's sometimes just get easy kind of caught up in like the vibe around the city and how people are treating the game
0: totally agree um we have i I said we were going to read a bunch of the questions that you guys submitted on wednesday night in the next episode we're not going to have time for that i don't want this to run too long we will get to a couple of those uh, for the next podcast, and then it's a bunch of them were evergreen, so we can actually run through those um, next week. But any final thoughts on on this game, on the Wake Forest game, before we get to your Dan in the dump story of the day?
1: Uh, it's just one of those games by halftime, you're like, let's just get the W and get out of here. Um, and I, I think we responded the way that, that we needed to, and let's just hope we carry that momentum and kind of the way we're shooting the ball. We're shooting the ball really
0: well, so hopefully we can carry that into Saturday. Do you have any parting words for Danny Manning, who we're probably not going to see <laughs> again, again after uh, Wednesday night's game? Man, yeah,
1: I don't know. Whatever staff he ends up on, I'll I'll probably check in from time to time and make sure they're they're doing okay. But yeah, not 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 what I expected when when he signed on there. So Danny, gonna miss you,
0: buddy. Been quite the ride. Uh, yeah. we, we enjoyed every second of just kicking the shit out of you every time, but that one time in Winston Salem, you mentioned the shooting uh, real quick. Louisville's 14 of 28 from three in that game. I'll give uh, credit to at not mad online 247 for this. Uh, Jordan War and Ryan McMahon they've taken more than 50 percent of Louisville's 491 three point attempts this season. They're shooting a combined 44.8 percent from three, almost 45 percent uh, as a duo. That's nuts. Like, like we have. I think we're going to really realize it because we've had teams in in recent years that just can't shoot the ball that well. Like that 2014-15 team, even though they made that run, they were frustrating as hell for long stretches because they just could not knock down open outside shots. I think when – like next year, I think we're going to have an exciting team. I don't know where the shooting is going to come from. I think we're really going to fully appreciate just how, how comforting it is to have a guy like Jordan or a guy like Ryan to where when they have an open look, you feel 90% sure that the ball is going to go down. Like, it it is a huge weapon and a huge asset, and it's so fun to cheer for. Yeah, no. And and
1: pessimistic me is, like, I mean, that's great. I mean, they're shooting the lights out. Uh, I know against Duke we didn't make a lot of threes, but I am just, like, absolutely terrified of, like, coming up against teams in the tournament that just flat out take the three away from us and to see how we're going to respond so um i'm sure we'll run into a couple of those games before the tournament starts so um it'll be interesting to see how we react to that
0: that's where you're thankful you got david johnson now um but we'll see about it like you said definitely that's going to be you have to assume that's going to be the game plan for everybody you run into in march now except for teams that that played just zero. like, like Virginia on Saturday. Like they're not going to try to take away the three cause that's what they do defensively.
1: So. Yeah. There's going to, there's going to be other coaches on the sideline besides Danny Manning. <laughs>
0: it's like that aren't going to let us
1: when they're, when they're up 15, just let us get wide open looks from Ryan McMahon.
0: I mean, what's going through his mind when they, like, it's a 26 to three run and he's sitting there and he's like, I think it's going to change like anytime yeah. now, like something's going to happen. Like we're going to get that spark back. I don't need to step in here, but, Anyways, if you're just if this is the first time you've listened to the podcast, we do a thing. Danny has bad stuff happen to him. Sometimes it's big time bad stuff. Sometimes it's small time bad stuff. Usually it's self inflicted because he's dumb and he does dumb stuff. Uh, but we call the segment "Dan in the Dumps." He usually has a story from you know, sometimes the, the decent past, sometimes the recent future. Uh, I said recent future. I'm, I, I need to go to sleep very quickly after we finish this <laughs> podcast. But you tell a story of something bad that happened to you recently. This is Dan of the Dumps. This is why people call you Dumpster Dan. What's your Dan of the Dump story for this episode? So, like,
1: ever since we started the podcast, I mean, things have been peachy. We're undefeated. <laughs> like, I haven't really, like, had a lot of bad stuff happen. So, I mean, I'm, like, reaching here. Um, but I'll go ahead. And so my, uh, my poor daughter, she's Lila. She's three. She was home um, with the flu today. So... Uh, dad got to work from home. So I actually, I wear contacts. I don't wear glasses like ever. I never wear my glasses. And the reason I don't is because my, uh, my son cam, uh, about a year ago snapped off like one of the earpieces. So like I can slide <laughs> them on one ear, but the other earpiece is missing and they like slant all the time. So for whatever reason this morning, I put on my glasses and I was just, I had my glasses on all morning and they're like, tilting off my nose and falling over and slanting and all this stuff so my vision is whatever I mean it's I can see with them on but it was just getting annoying so finally I like you know since I was in the house all day I put my contacts in around noon and I put my contacts in and I don't know if it was because of like the way my glasses had been falling on and off or what I was like, I put them in and I had to blink like five times. And I was like, am I cross-eyed? Like I can't <laughs> see anything. And I like took my contacts out and I put them back in and I'm like blinking and I'm like covering one eye and then cover, I'm like doing like a full eye test for myself. And I don't know what it was, but for like 20 minutes I walked around and I was like, I think like I was like, am I going to text my wife that I've gone cross-eyed here? I like blinked. For like a good 20 minutes like non-stop and finally they kind of straightened out but it just I was like god how's this shit happen to me I was like this is this is whatever but yeah that was that was a reach I don't know that was a reach 100%
0: a reach I think I mean you know things are good when you know we're beating Danny Manning by 10 points. It's the greatest so, coach of all time. Edit, the, edit that shit out, man. We oh, haven't lost dude. in over a month. And the worst thing that's happened to you is thinking that you might be cross-eyed <laughs> for 20 minutes. So there you go. That was uh, uh, that was the <laughs> that's the worst and the dumps of all time. God Congratulations. Damn it. You're making history on the pod. Um if you're also new to listening to the podcast, we really encourage you to to subscribe to it on on iTunes or on Apple Pods or wherever you listen to your podcast. It really helps us out if you subscribe. And then also give us a five star rating and write a review. And to encourage you to do so, we like to end the pod by reading a couple of the recent reviews that are usually funny. You can make it funny if you want. You can be genuine. You can uh, you know, call me an asshole, make fun of Dan. We love anything that you do. Uh, Adam Hardesty says, could listen to this podcast all times a day. Love the smart basketball talk. And Mike Rutherford is the man. Danny sounds like he just woke up most days, but he's pretty cool too.
1: How do you think? Thanks. That? Hey, I, no, here's the deal. And my dad has, like, got on me for the, like, every, my dad has, like, literally been on me since I was, like, five years old. Like, you need to perk up when you talk. Like, no, <laughs> no one's going to hire you. And I'm like, this is how I talk. It's my voice. Like, I'm sorry. I'm just, like, everyone's like, are you from California? I'm like, no, this is how I talk. So,
0: well, this is me. It's the hair. The, the hair just throws people off. Um, and yeah. KY says, I've listened to a couple of podcasts over the years, but this is my favorite. Mike Rutherford's inside is uncanny at times. He sees things I don't and breaks it down in a funny, smart, entertaining way. Danny's good, too. I always look forward to the new episodes to listen to in the car. You're good, Dan. Hey, I'm
1: I'm Scotty Pippen to MJ here. I'll take it. I don't it.
0: know about that. that was, uh, see, that was nicer. Um, large amount of, of money, says Chris and now Dave. Danny was on a first-name basis with Coach Mack, and now he refers <laughs> to DJ as Dave. There you go. There's the Dave thing. I know. I mean, i don't. I, I'm cl- I. I'm, I
1: literally, I feel like my whole career, I've called our players by their first name. Like you do, I'll defend. Yeah, you that. I, 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 Kwan, I called Francisco Franny. Like I, I you know,
0: I, I'm a first name guy. I don't know what to say. You picked the worst possible example for shortening someone's name when it like, literally There's no player that we've had in the last 20 years that's worse than that. I called Francisco Franny. I called Ta- Like, nobody called Taekwondine anything but Taekwond. Like, there's... So- oh, God, yeah. yeah. This didn't happen. Last review, uh, RB355 says, if you're like the millions of people who were despondent when, my- when Mike was unceremoniously dropped by evil corporate America, then you'll be relieved to know that you can hear... Uh, that here you can get all the same witty and intelligent Mike you loved on the radio, but with even more cussing. Uh, big thanks to RB355 for that. Again, leave us a good review. We'll probably read it on the podcast. If you say terrible stuff about us, we'll read it then too, because it's even more funny. Uh, Dan, parting thoughts here before we uh, we, we call this an episode?
1: Um, not really. Yeah, let's There you just, go. Uh, that's, yeah,
0: that's yeah. Done. <laughs> uh, we'll be talking to you tomorrow night. We're going to have a pre Virginia podcast. Uh, we won't make Danny do Dan in the dumps again because that was terrible. So, uh, yeah, so, was until, <laughs> so until then, enjoy your Friday, everybody. Go cards.